Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hello, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I was really looking forward to our conversation today as we continue to explore what it takes to have a strong, positive relationship to our health. Let's include the factors that have over a lifetime influenced how we think about our health and the pursuit to be our best selves. Well, Anna, this is such an important track, you know, because to identify um, and personalize our relationship to health, we really need to see the broader context because our relationship has everything to do with our beliefs and our conditioning and our backstory, as we've said before, um, but we're part of a bigger picture, you know, and this includes really the cultural uh, evolution of health that we were exposed to. So we hopefully can, can extract this information and use it to self-discover, really kind of turn toward ourselves and assess where we are and consider other options and maybe make changes if we choose to. Yeah, I know that there are areas that we've tapped into in other conversations that we've had. When I think about it, you know, of course, our relationship to health would necessarily include what we're taught in our families, schools, churches, and the many personal experiences that we've had as adults. Yes, that's right. And I also need to highlight that when most people are asked about their health, they tend to think about their physical health. And also, um, in regards to their physical health, kind of the absence of disease. And yet, both the word health and healing have the Germanic root of whole, whole person, and in the case of healing, to make whole. Yeah. Well, this is a model that has come up in our conversations. I know many times, you know, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. That's right. You know, and as we explore our personal relationship to health, you know, I, I'm hoping that we can really embrace the whole person philosophy and, and be open to cultivating ideas to incorporate these options into our daily lives and create doable action plans, you know, really allow ourselves to, to be uh, committed to making choices. You know, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. So, so the root of health and healing means whole person, as in holistic, correct? That's right. That's right. And there's a rich world history of interdisciplinary medicine um, that has sought to really include these dimensions, you know, as a whole person, you know, and, and target the many dimensions, you know, social, psychological, mental, behavioral, and, and really look at how they affect the bodily processes. You know, there's some history um, of this kind of approach that dates back to medieval times. You know, medieval Islamic um, medicine really looked at the whole person. You know, they were always about mind-body connections to health and also, you know, how the body reacts and the mind reacts together that causes illness. So they were way back in medieval times looking at the whole person. How interesting, you know, that the mind-body health goes back that far. That's right. It, it, it really is. You know, interestingly enough, though, in Western culture, um, we really misplace this concept right around the 17th century, thanks to a philosopher by the name of Rene Descartes. And he posited the theory that uh, really disassembled the whole person. You know, he said that we are individual 
parts, mind, body, and soul. And accordingly then, each of these parts would require a different professional to uh, assist and intervene if there were ever problems. So it was the physician that dealt with the body and it was the psychiatrist or analyst that dealt with the mind. And the clergy certainly were the, the um, individuals who dealt with the soul or the spirit. And the key was everybody stay in your own lane. So the return to mind body uh, medicine and the whole holistic or whole person view has really had a very slow return in Western medicine, you know, starting back in the 1930s with uh, a theory called psychosomatic medicine. And as I say, it started in the, in the 1930s, but it really stall, start, um, I should say, stalled out in the 1950s and 1960s because of lack of scientific evidence. Evidence, like, like what kind of evidence are, are we saying? Well, at the time, psychosomatic um, medicine was really based on theory and what we call anecdotal evidence, which uses personal experiences to illustrate, you know, various points. Um, whereas empirical evidence, which is considered hard science, is um, evidence that is measurable, you know, it's unbiased, and we're able to replicate it. So relying on uh, science-based empirical evidence is considered really the best practice in a science of medicine. So without the science to back it up, it's difficult to keep a, a, a major movement like this going in a forward direction. Well, that's exactly right. You know, we were in the midst of a paradigm shift, but the science to support it was very, very slow in coming. Um, a lot of it had to do with funding, also, there were clearly differences in research design because you're dealing with human subjects. And also there was a question of, you know, how do you accurately measure mental or emotional impacts on the physiology, you know, on the body? Yes, I guess it's a, it's a different ballgame when you can't figure out what to put under the microscope or can't obviously see it in another way. Well, that's right. So the science was kind of stalled out. But what was interesting is that the whole mind-body movement uh, began to be fueled in the 1970s with a surge of best-selling books, uh, which provided vivid testimony, both personal and professional, but however, it was all still anecdotal. Uh, but these works encouraged the reader to be more involved in their healthcare and really take back their power and control and develop relationships. I mean, a real partnership with their physicians so that medical decisions were more collaborative. There was a book that came out in the early 70s by the name of, uh, by the name of um, Anatomy of an Illness. It was by Norman Cousins. And it really revolutionized how people were thinking about healthcare because Norman Cousins claimed that he had cured himself of a chronic disease by making lifestyle changes and having regular doses of comedy, humor. He watched the Marx Brothers. So as I say, this caused the beginning of a revolution, people taking charge of their health and demanding to be in partnership with their physicians. Carolyn Mace came out with a book by the name of um, uh, Why People Don't Heal. And what she was talking about is she said, our biology or our biography becomes our biology. 
And she used a term woundology. And what she was talking about is exploring how our beliefs about ourselves tends to play out in our health. So there were a myriad of books that came out talking about how health, a health crisis can change your life, how it really allows you to, to see the toxic components in your life. Um, books came out around uh, how to be an exceptional patient, how to survive and thrive, a terminal diagnosis. You know, it was a pretty incredible time because all of these works really carried a powerful message um, that we were looking to evolve in a totally different way. And they explored conscious choices that we can make for ourselves and also with our health providers. Changes in choices like um, uh, nutritional changes, you know, lifestyle changes, nutritional changes, balancing our stress, changing our relationships, uh, facing and quelling addictions. These were all patterns that we needed to look at that could compromise our immune system. How interesting. You know, it seems like that the general public helped to push things forward, even without the science. Well, that's absolutely right except for the fact that this was going on in the general public, but many of the professionals practicing Western medicine remained skeptical without the science based on empirical evidence. So um, another issue is that when empirical evidence does surface in the science community, sometimes it takes a long time to get to the general public in a digestible form, you know, something that we can understand. But this also began to change. Um, as it were, you know, in the 70s and in the 80s, we started to see some evidence come forth. And it was, again, through popularized books that we began to, as a general public, really see and use this new information. Candace Purd and her team at Johns Hopkins, you know, they discovered the opiate receptor opioid receptors. And what this amounted to was we were able to see that there was a biomolecular component to emotions. And there were also people like Redford Williams, who was able to put together the correlation between anger and coronary heart disease. And a fellow by the name of Bruce Lipton began to, through cellular biology, talk about the fact that DNA is not totally reliant on itself and the gene pool within the human species, that it really has to do with outside influences energized by our thoughts, both positive and negative. So it was an incredible time. You know, and today, you know, every major medical center has a department of whether it's integrated health, holistic health, um, functional medicine, um, we see it everywhere, Cleveland Clinic, UH, Mayo Clinic. All of these disciplines treat the whole person. So it's, again, we're going back to the original meaning of what it is to have health and healing, including all the components of physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, and all of these play into the well-being. And treatment often includes lifestyle changes, corrections, not just pharmacological interventions and surgical interventions. So clearly there's been a paradigm shift. It doesn't mean that everybody's on board though. 
you know, much of the traditional medical community remains skeptical and sometimes non-supportive. So it's not just about mind-body medicine that they're skeptical about, but any of the alternative therapies, things like acupuncture and chiropractic care, naturopathic and um, homeopathic medicine. You know, sometimes there's a, you know, a lot of skepticism around those arenas. Yes, yes, there is. And I'm very familiar with this more holistic approach. It makes such perfect sense to me. But yet, you know, I often, I'm often outnumbered, uh, Dr. Jane, by people who are much more indifferent to making healthy choices, especially if they're an incon inconvenienced by it or, sure. you know, or time consuming for them. That's right. You know, and as I mentioned, you know, people think about their health as being physical and kind of the absence of disease. Um, not, you know, not everybody is tuned into the mind-body evolution. You know, a lot of people are tied into the, the uh, traditional medicine, traditional Western medicine. You know, and then there are some people who just aren't interested in health, you know, or they may be in denial about um, uh, their health or anybody else's health or what to do about their health. Or maybe they have excuses or rationalizations or projections that enable them to ignore health issues. You know, sometimes if you're really healthy, you don't even think about it, you know, if you don't have any, any real issues. Um, but there's also, you know, a, a shift in, in healthcare and how healthcare is perceived. Um, there's a rising healthcare cost that really is, is more pronounced than it ever has been. And what this has done is it's kind of pulled in certain prejudices that, um, uh, are being perpetuated. You know, things like um, people with visible um, healthcare issues, you know, are often held more responsible for their choices, you know, in very judgmental ways. You know, it's also about taking a look at, you know, if we're making these choices, you know, are, are, we, are we really, um, or should we really be part of the healthcare uh, component that pays for that. So our beliefs and our backstory and our conditioning, you know, tend to define and support issues like what is it to be healthy and who's responsible for our health and um, who should finance our health and should, should we finance care of less responsible people, you know, people who are maybe not being responsible, you know, given that there are continuing to be raising healthcare costs higher and higher every year. Yes, they certainly do. And, and there's some, some truth to that. Absolutely. I don't know, you know, I don't want to be insensitive, but it is about choice, right? Well, yes, but healthcare needs to kind of evolve over a lifetime. And very often, the, as we say that, you know, the choices have to do with what we've been exposed to our beliefs and our conditioning you know, and, and influenced by the medical paradigms that, that we were exposed to. So sometimes the choices are, are unconsciously motivated to maintain our sense of, of comfort and safety, you know, or they might have to do with um, our economic, uh, socioeconomic status, you know, what we can afford, or um, whether or not we've been uh, exposed to pertinent information, you know, education has a lot to do with it or whether or not healthcare is available to us. What is the availability? So there are no simple answers, you know, and, and 
um, why we don't attend to our health has a, a myriad of, of reasons, some of which are very complex, you know, but certainly can be barriers, you know, both conscious and unconscious. Yeah, it's not always what it appears to be on the surface, you know, behind the symptom and the response to it is the history, conditioning, and the backstory. Well, that's right. You know, and I'm not wanting to make excuses for unhealthy behavior or enable unhealthy choices. You know, I just want to point out that um, problems are often complex and more complex than they appear to be. And to change requires that we wake up to the issues around our health. And many remain unconscious, you know, to all these dimensions until faced with something that happens that may trigger the need to change. You know, things like maybe our choice gets us into trouble, whether it's with family or uh, with the healthcare providers or coworkers or even the police. Um, maybe our choice causes a, a, a critical crisis within our own healthcare. Or maybe someone else goes through a healthcare crisis or even, you know, faces death. And sometimes that causes us to wake up, you know, or, or our choice no longer provides the comfort and safety. Or sometimes we just get sick and tired of being sick and tired and want to feel better, you know. Or sometimes there's just kind of this spontaneous awakening, you know. I want to have a different life and I want my health to be part of it. You know, it's, it's a tough road. Um, to change healthcare patterns, you know? And one of the things we know from research is about 50% or more of people with chronic problems um, are not compliant with their doctor's orders. You know, they're not doing what they are prescribed to do. You know, and the failure rate is much higher um, with weight management and also with recovery from addictions. So we're not looking to shame or blame the individual. Um, but rather kind of highlight the whole person, you know, the mind, body, soul practice um, really requires consistent personal investment, you know, awareness, time, energy. It's all important. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a, a big brush stroke here. It's really, you know, put our mind, body, spirit relationship with a, with health in a broader perspective, I, I think. Yes, you know, and the evolution of mind, body, health, and medicine um, has had a major impact, you know, in our culture, as well as our personal beliefs and healthcare practices. Um, Dr. Jane, where now? Well, I think it's important for us to continue this conversation, Anna, because today we just kind of um, really provided that, as I said, the, that broad brushstroke of what has influenced us according to what we've been exposed to. But it's important that we continue to kind of fine tune what it means personally. So in the meantime, you know, I would, I would consider, you know, that we take a look at with, with real kindness and curiosity, you know, the, kind of ask the following questions, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being healthy, very healthy, and, and one being unhealthy, you know, to really rank, you know, how, how do we see ourselves, you know, within the different dimensions of the mind-body paradigm, you know, how do I see myself mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, you know, what about occupationally or even recreationally, you know, how, I, I, how do I have fun, you know, are my leisure time activities healthy? You know, the other thing is, um, 
do I desire to improve my mind-body health? And am I ready to make a, a real healing intention to improve my health? You know, and sometimes even writing a personal um, health mission statement can be enormously helpful because it's, it's actually committing to paper, you know, what do I want? Um, what do I need to do? You know, who am I doing it for? And lastly, to take a look at <clears throat> what of all my health concerns tends to be pulling at my attention? What really needs me to attend to it now? This is so important, you know. So the rank of the various mind-body-spirit aspects, check our desire and intentions, write our mission statement, and decide which health issue is a priority, correct? That's right. seems like a lot, but it's a start, you know. It's a start. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to do it, and I'm sure you have inspired many others to do the same today, Dr. Jane. Thank you so much. Until you, our next Anna. conversation. 